Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. We can skin a buck and run a trot line, and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Jim Strader Outdoors. We've got a interesting program tonight where we're going to shed light on some recent moves by the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife to liberalize. And when I say liberalize, I'm talking about jihad on our deer herd. I'm calling this edition of Jim Strader Outdoors Deer Jihad because there's a liberalization and a move to, in a nutshell, kill lots and lots of deer. And while I'm on board with harvesting does and, and controlling numbers, the type of sweeping changes that they're recommending and that they voted on in some regards and they're getting ready to vote on, to me, are very, very startling. And I have grave concerns for our sportsman's ability, A, to have land to hunt on, private hunting lands, B, to have a deer herd that's sustainable to the point where we keep hunters in the fold, and C, where we don't go off the cliff in terms of our trophy deer management, which is the golden egg that I feel if they do a bunch of these moves, they're about to break. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of these various proposals with some guests in the studio tonight, I have Mark Nethery. Mark is past president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, and he was also awarded the Sportsman of the Year Award last night at the convention where I was the keynote speaker. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be back. All righty. And I've also got Bob Edwards uh, in the studio. Bob is a board member with the Kentuckiana chapter of the Safari Club International. He's also the president of the 3rd District of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. And I think at the outset here, guys, let's make it clear. You're here speaking as individuals. That's Uh, correct, Jim. Bob? Uh, That is correct, Jim. And can you... Either of you speak for any particular group, or you want to just stay within the parameters that you have concerns about these deer rigs? The 3rd District Federation of League Kentucky Sportsmen did vote in favor of these regulations. Okay. 
and Safari Club? So the Safari Club chapter did not vote in favor of most of, of these proposed changes. Okay. So depending on which hat, it kind of varies a little bit. I'm not really addressing for those groups. There, there are some concerns that I have personally, and I'm here for that. Okay. Well, that's kind of the chair I'm sitting in as well. Uh, again, I, I believe in doe harvest. Anybody that's ever listened to me on this program realizes that I have continually, through the years, promoted the harvest of does. I've always had concerns about taking more bucks than does because the does are the breeding component. There's no doubt that we have an overpopulation of does in certain areas. However, many of those areas are in urban areas where it's been difficult to get hunter access. It's where most of the deer collisions with cars are occurring. I am aware that Kentucky Farm Bureau would like to see more deer killed, and I'm in concert with that. But the way the department and some of the commissioners, and in particular Gabe Jenkins, the deer management coordinator, has declared jihad on these deer, it's not good. I have grave concerns about the unintended consequences of these drastic measures all going in at once. And we will talk about these after we come back from break. We're going to be having a discussion here in the first part of the program, so hang on. We'll try to point out to you some of these unintended consequences and why we are opposed. This break is presented by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road, Legend Bass Boats, Starcraft Pontoons, and Express Aluminum Boats. Go see them. Check them out on smimarine.com or smimarine on Facebook. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. Again, we're talking about the sweeping changes in Kentucky deer hunting regulations. And, fellas, let me start out with this because our listeners in Indiana will understand this in a heartbeat. They did similar changes to their deer hunting over in Indiana where they raised to unlimited number of deer in certain zones, etc. And a lot of those folks, and I know them, they're good deer managers, and they're people that have deer hunted, you know, for decades. And a lot of them just aren't seeing deer the way they used to, which um, it's okay to cut back on deer, but when it gets down to the point that you're just not seeing enough that it's, in quotes, worth the effort to go out and hunt anymore, and I'm hearing that from some people, it's pretty wise to think this through and understand exactly what some of these changes will bring about. And there's, again, many, many changes here, but we're going to discuss some of them. One of them's economic, fellas. Let's start with that one, perhaps. Um, I was at the meeting, Bob, at the 3rd District, Mark, where you were, and you all, as you know, the question was raised with these changes in the license uh, requirement or permit requirements for extra deer, they were going from 
Mark, spell that out so folks can understand it. Well, currently, as regulation stands, uh, you can buy a bonus deer tag, which is good for two deer, two antlerless deer. With the proposal, that bonus deer tag at the same cost will go to 15 deer. And and I think I was the one that asked the question uh, when this was all being presented, how much revenue is generated currently from these bonus deer tags and the answer was approximately a quarter of a million dollars. So this boils down to an economic issue. If you're already buying multiple tags at $15 a piece for two deer and the bonus tag goes to 15, you're going to stop buying those multiple tags. That quarter of a million dollars in revenue goes out the window but we as sportsmen... And those, that's according to Gabe Jenkins. That's according figures. to Gabe Jenkins. And again, Gabe is the deer management coordinator. And we as sportsmen have been faced with uh, license fee regulations across the board. And it looks to me like the, the burden is being put back on the sportsmen. You know, we're talking about a situation where, as I understand it, uh, the funds aren't in the budget to even buy winter coats for conservation officers, but we're potentially going to give away a quarter of a million dollars. I don't know. I don't care who you talk to. A quarter of a million dollars is a lot of money. And if you're already selling it and you already have a customer's customer base out there buying what you're selling, i.e. a bonus tag worth for good, good for two deer, why give that revenue away? People are only going to kill so many deer because of processing fees, time, weather, and a sundry other list of conditions, why put so much out there? And and on a sidebar issue, and this is me personally talking, I have some concerns potentially about party hunting starting when you've got the potential for so many deer to be taken. And that's a sidebar issue and, and, and could be debated all day long. But you can't – there's not much debate on the economic side of it. Okay. Um, in zone ones, they're talking about, for example, you can take for X number of tags, spell that out so folks can understand it. Uh, I believe it's 19 deer. So one of the proposals is to take the statewide, uh, deer permit from two deer to four deer and in itself and singly, that's, that's not an egregious issue. The, in fact, that in itself will probably eliminate a great number of the bonus tags even being purchased mm-hmm. because that means, you know, well, that's I, the revenue loss we're looking that's at. That's the initial revenue loss. Uh, and deer tag fees did not go up. Sportsman's life, you know, none of that went up in that regard. So there's not more revenue coming into the department. They're already giving away that bonus tag with the purchase of the initial uh, deer license going from, from two deer to four deer for the same price. Only those individuals that have a extreme abundance of deer are going to be able to put a dent in that bonus tag of 15 deer. At least that's, that's the way I see it. Um, I think that me personally, I think the same number of, of, of hunters are going to be in the field. They may take, an extra deer here or an extra deer there, and hopefully they wind up in the hands of a hunters for the hungry. But those hunters are going to be faced with with weather situations, getting these deer out of the woods. You know, a guy only has so much time to hunt. 
and he's only capable of dragging so many deer out of out of the woods, and he's only got so much money in his wallet to pay for the processing fees on these things. So the math just doesn't add up for me on this thing. Okay. Next thing was a doe season in September. Now, <laughs> why why September was chosen was explained again by Gabe Jenkins, the deer management coordinator, where he said that the statistics showed that that late September period was the period when the least amount of bucks were being harvested. Okay? However, that is the period of the year when the does are still nursing their fawns, and there's an even bigger concern getting ready to be voted upon that I'll, I'll engage in later. But September is hot. Um, why would you set a season in? We've got so many seasons now on deer, one after the other, that it's becoming very, very difficult for people to to divide and conquer. We've got the ability right now to hunt with crossbow, with a regular bow, with a muzzleloader, a uh, modern gun. There's just, you know, numbers of days all over the map already available. I just question whether there's wisdom in the September doe season. What are your fellas' thoughts? Bob, you got any thoughts on it? Gabe did a fantastic presentation yesterday, and as part of his presentation, he did address the weather issue and and that the hunter's going to have to have a good plan for dealing with meat because the temperatures that time of year are going to be, you know, a lot warmer than they would be at traditional deer seasons. Um, I do understand his theory that we, we need to reduce the deer herd in the zone one. He's trying to get zone one to be the carry levels of a zone two county. He's trying to get zone four counties to be the carry capacity of a zone three county. And the way to deal with the super abundance of deer in zone one is to try to thin the herd. I understand the concept of doing that, and it does make sense. Um, the the time of year that we're talking about, I know that he has stated in the past that he absolutely has biologic proof that it's not going to be detrimental. I'm not a wildlife biologist. I'm not disputing what he says in any way. I know what I've seen personally in 40 years out there, and at that time of year, you see an awful lot of fawns still wandering around with the doe. I'm not suggesting that if someone killed that doe with a bow, it would be any different than killing it with a rifle. I am suggesting that the odds of that happening frequently go up dramatically with a rifle. Unquestionably. And what happens, any of us who have been in the woods, and this is the concern for me, uh, in a big way during October, which I have, Mark, you have, Bob, you have, when does kick their button bucks off, it's generally right around the 15th of October, give or take a little bit. They continue to nurse them, give them mother's milk, and then they kick them off to get ready for the for the oncoming rut. That's And that's when the acorns start to become available, and that's kind of God's plan in nature to get those deer as much sustenance as they can before they're put on their own. But there's nothing dumber than 
nor more vocal than a young buck, button buck that's kicked off its mother. For days it bl- walks through the woods bleeding and and making itself known and available to predators. And when you talk about doing this to large numbers of deer by having a doe season that early, that's my concern. They become coyote and bobcat bait. And while we have traditionally had archery season opening October 1st, I'm talking about traditional archery here, not even crossbow. In in the old days before we had this compromise about extending archery back to September 1, the October 1st period was about the earliest. And most most states are like that. Most states in our region of the country are still on an October uh, type of opener. But when you start to harvest these numbers of, of does and orphan these fawns and they start going through the woods bleating looking for their mama, uh, it ain't a pretty picture. I don't understand why, you know, the the lower buck are if you're not going to take bucks anyway if it's the only season why not put it at the cooler period of the year and have it when that's not a a significant area of concern. Well, let, let, let's go back to the previous conversation about bonus tags. If you can take that many deer on a bonus tag, why not? To your point, why not wait and take them in the cooler months of the year? You know, there's there's a lot of concern among sportsmen as to whether or not processors are even going to be open will be widely available at at, the, at that time of year. Number one, number two, your your point is very well taken. I've seen it. I know you've seen it. Bob's probably seen it. A lot of sportsmen have seen it. You know, a, a doe is harvested, and then the fawns just wander around aimlessly, and they're and they're just waiting. Coyote numbers, predator numbers are, are an all time high. Bobcat numbers are expanding. Uh, we're it's not, in my book, it's not ethically prudent to harvest these does at that time of the year. I agree with that. I just don't. I understand Gabe's thoughts on that, and but viscerally and intellectually, I've seen what happens at that time of year because I've harvested does with bow and arrow in the past during that period, and I know what happens, and... Fawns that go bleeding through the woods because mama's gone at that time become very vulnerable to predators. And I, I, that's just where I'm coming from. Folks, I got to go to break here. This break is presented by Paul Thomas, Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty, M O P H A R T Realty.com, Vacation Cabins, Wildlife Management Properties, and Farms. Check him out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. We're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and we're talking about changes in the deer season in Kentucky, and... uh, I'm calling it Deer Jihad because I've seen what's happened in Indiana in particular. I hunt in Indiana a lot, and I've seen what those changes have wrought over there. And I, again, firmly believe in in taking more does. And I guess really 
let's continue our discussion. Mark, you had another point you wanted to make about. Ultimately, this whole thing boils down to, and, and when you look at a, a press release from the department dated March 27th, after these, these proposals were passed by the commission, it, it very plainly says it's, they're designed to help thin the state's deer herd. And I get that. I get overcarrying capacity on, on in certain areas of the state. But one of the areas and one of the issues that was brought up directly uh, in a third district meeting with Gabe Jenkins uh, regarding these proposals is what are we doing about urban deer populations? In so many of our zone one counties, if you take Jefferson County just as an example, because that's what we're sitting in the middle of right now, you, you have deer, more deer than you can count in Prospect, Anchorage, J-Town, Linden. Uh, Bob showed me a picture of a, of a buck taken probably less than three blocks from where we're sitting at the studio uh, off Gardner Lane. Those deer are going to live a very long and healthy life grazing on people's hydrangeas and, tu- and, and, and tulips, and they're never going to be touched. But those are also the deer that are the culprits of, of many of the car deer collisions. That corridor along uh, Blankenbaker in J-Town is just a mecca for car deer collisions. Mm-hmm. But they're coming out of Blackacre Nature Preserve, and they're coming out of the smaller farm-like tracts of land that there's no access to. And and these regulations, while designed to thin the population in Zone 1 counties, really don't get at the heart of the issue. And my personal concern as a sportsman is it's going to create undue pressure on those deer in the more rural areas and never touch the real issue in the heart of the problem, the deer that are in the urban areas. You know, when the flooding was going on downtown, there was a video going around that showed a doe running right through the middle of downtown Louisville, ran down 3rd Street and jumped in the river. And I was told it actually came out down around Shawnee Park. But that whole corridor along between Melwood Avenue and the river is just full of deer down there. And we're never going to get to them. A great part of this problem is something that I've been involved in. Uh, Several former commissioners uh, have been involved in. uh, Commission chair, uh, former commission chair Stuart Ray was involved in this in a big way, was our need to establish archery hunting zones in these municipal areas that allow people to hunt. Now, we have a right to hunt law. That's right. It's on the books. I, I helped push it. Uh, uh, Greg Stumbo was the gentleman that, that uh, brought that to the legislature. Mark, you worked on it through the league to get it passed. Bob, I think you all were definitely behind it at SCI. Correct. I think the league was behind it. We're mm-hmm. all behind it. But the problem is it hasn't been tested in so many of these municipalities that have tried to get around that law by passing uh, non-projectile ordinances. In other words, you can't shoot a gun, you can't shoot a bow, you can't uh, discharge any type of a of a uh, gun or bow, etc., in their areas, effectively blocking people's right to hunt. I think that needs to be tested and i think there needs to be a lot more attention paid to that and i would enjoin 
Farm Bureau to get involved in that because uh, you're exactly right, uh, Mark. The, most of these deer collisions are occurring in or near urban areas where the deer population is out of control. I'd like to add another thing to that thought process in that these deer diseases that are now uh, being transported by ticks. Ticks are the, mm-hmm. the cause of it, of course, but deer are the host, and and they're spreading is Lyme disease, this new tick disease where you become allergic to meat. You can't eat red meat anymore. It makes you uh, ill to eat red meat. Um, there's uh, Ehrlichia. I was getting ready to say Ehrlichia. And I know several people that have had that. And You know what's funny about that? Or I shouldn't say funny, ironic about that. Most of the people I know that have had that got it in an urban area where these deer numbers are out of control. So, well, and don't forget any any species specific diseases are going to are more likely to appear in these highly concentrated deer areas. So, I understand the frustration about being able to hunt in those areas, but I, I just think that there needs to be a little more aggressive approach and a realization that some of those are the areas where we have seen the rapid expansion and our uncontrolled growth of our deer herd. The, you know, this whole thing is not about, it is not an us against them. It's what's right and in, in doing right by the resource. And in this case, white-tailed deer, which by the way is the number one moneymaker uh, of, of all the game species in the state. So it's something we need, we should be all very protective of. We should be very proud of the number of of record deer and the overall quality of our deer herd, and we need to pro- we need to protect that as sportsmen. We need to protect that as as those people sitting on uh, Sportsman's Lane in Frankfort. Um, in my past history, I worked very very closely for a number of years with uh, Karen Waldrop, uh, who was a wild game coordinator at the time. I've worked some to some degree with Steve Bean, uh, worked with the commissioner of the department at the time. In every instance when a proposal was made about a change uh, in a game species, and, and I'm talking about a season, it was absolutely ingrained in me, drilled into my head, we make changes in small incremental steps so that we can evaluate the successes and the failures. Let's face it, wild game biology is not a science. It, it is not an exact science. It is a science. It is not an exact science by any stretch of the imagination. And, it, and, and as much as we may not like it, those statements of taking small incremental steps really ring true. For, but for some reason, not in this scenario. There are 15 proposed deer changes that are headed to the LRC, passed by the commission and headed to the LRC. And we've had the opportunity to talk amongst ourselves. And, and probably any one of these is not really egregious by itself. But when you pile them all together and, and, and implement them all at one time, it's going to be hard to figure out what worked and what didn't work, at least, in, again, in my opinion. The, you know, the the zone changes, those are fine. Changing the opening day of archery season to September 1st, 
that's fine. But when you get into some of these things like your your uh, licenses going from two deer to four deer, the early doe season, uh, the bonus tag going to, to 15 deer rather than two deer, you just have to stand back and, and scratch your head and say, are we really doing the right thing? How will we know if we've done the right thing? And let's keep in mind, the press release clearly says this is the, the culmination of a survey that was done three years ago. What's happened in the past three years? I know Eastern Kentucky has had an outbreak of EHD, and there's been some spotty reports elsewhere. The question begs to be asked is, if it takes three years to come up with new regulations and new season proposals, how fast can things change should there be some sort of disaster regarding these deer? A a state widespread EHD like we had back in, what was it, 2009, I think we had. So... Well, I'd like to remind everybody of something, if I may. Number one, Eastern Kentucky experienced a very severe EHD die-off this year, okay? Um, I've talked to guys over in in McGoffin County, uh, Menifee County, all across that eastern sector over there, and they're all saying it it was unbelievable die-off. And here we're doing these sweeping changes uh, for the deer herd in a, in a situation where a lot of folks over there are saying they're lucky in many areas to even see a deer. Now, I understand these are not areas that they're changing to zone one. However, I guess what I'm trying to say is this deer herd is a little more delicate than people realize. Um, you fellas probably recall back when EHD first came to the state of Kentucky, I was the guy that rang the alarm bell. I was the one that said, this is a massive die-off. It's going to have serious consequences. And Karen Waldrop went on television and media and said, no, Jim's wrong. This is a blip in the radar screen, and it'll rapidly collect itself. Well, it has not. There's still some counties like Breckenridge and some others uh, that went through this where there's still uh, some problems, and the folks over there haven't seen a resurgence in the quality nor numbers of deer that they saw in the past. So I'm a guy that is encouraging caution here uh, as as we go through these types of changes. You folks got any other thoughts right now before I go to break? Well, just real quick, to your point, uh, exercise caution. You know, worst-case scenario, if we don't do anything, we know what we've got. Well, and I'll speak to that in a big way here momentarily. Bob, you got any more thoughts? This is exactly the reason that that, that I'm here with you today. Um, Mr. Jenkins did address that in his presentation, and they did alter the zone four to one antler and one antlerless because they do acknowledge that they had a big die-off and they're trying to help that herd replenish and grow its way back up into being a zone three. So they are well aware of that. I'm in the hunting equipment business. And the last statistic I saw, deer hunting in Kentucky was a $1.3 billion a year business. That's a big deal. Now, the department is well aware of that, and they do a lot to protect that industry. This is a lot of changes at one time. My friend Ed Morris, who held this position before me, stated repeatedly that incremental changes are what have got us to where we are now, changing things monitoring the results and adjusting in small increments have got us to the point that we're at now. 
moderation seems to me to make sense. Some of these changes are, are certainly steps in the right direction, and I do understand that they need to thin that deer herd in the zone one areas before it gets out of hand in certain areas. But 15 changes at one time seems like a lot to uh, – how do you monitor that? How do you know which one caused the best result? Well, and there is an 800-pound gorilla, if you will, looming in the very near future about radical changes in the crossbow season and how it will affect archery hunters and gun hunters. We'll talk about that after we come back from break. This break is presented by SMI Marine Legend Bass Boats, StarCraft Pontoons, Express Aluminum Boats, and they're the folks that can troubleshoot your boat when you have problems and get you back on the water in no time. Check them out, smimarine.com. All right, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. And I'm going to try to out the 800-pound gorilla, and then we're going to, after we come back from break, explain what I think are going to be severe unattended consequences of crossbow season running concurrent with archery. I want to start this discussion with putting a lie to bed because there's a lie that's been told repeatedly, and it's about me personally, it's that I'm anti-crossbow. Here's the news flash, folks. I hunt with a crossbow. I've never been anti-crossbow. I'm against some of the, what I consider way out of line, recommendations that are being proffered about the crossbow season. I have seen what crossbow seasons have done in other states. I'm very well aware of people who want to hunt with crossbow, and I would argue just off the top of my head, if you really want to hunt with one, you can. They're taking about 4,000-something deer with crossbow now. Uh, So those are some reasons to uh, ponder, if you will, and I'll explain the, the unintended consequences later, but let's talk about what's on the plate here. The Wildlife Committee has voted to run if I understand it correctly, crossbow season concurrent with archery. Okay? Uh, Originally, there was a small number of people that approached the commission and for some reason were given credence and and a a voice way beyond their numbers that said, we want a crossbow season that runs concurrent with archery. There's really no difference between the the two types of, of hunting Uh, instruments, and we'd like to have it. Well, that's just fine. But, again, I hunt with a crossbow, and I know the difference. It's a deadly weapon. You can go on any of the uh, outdoor shows and magazines, and you see them advertising these things being able to shoot out to 100 yards. And so in that regard, they're much more capable of uh, turning the average person into a deadly hunter. I, anybody doesn't want to admit to that is fooling themselves, in my opinion. Because um, you can get one, you can tune in and shoot it, and within a matter of an hour, you're proficient to take animals out to 40 yards. And that's very difficult to do with archery equipment. 
Bob, you got a comment? These new Raven crossbows, they're shooting 100 yards. Yes, I know it. I know it. And and accurately, I might add. Very, very accurate and with plenty of power. Yep. Now the penetration capabilities drop off out to range, and there's some other factors to be considered there. However, the reasons not to do that are, in my opinion, very common sense. And we're going to trot these out after we come back from break. But what's proposed is, again, in archery season, there's been several proposals bandied back and forth, but it's my understanding from talking to several people uh, with the department that now the commission is poised to vote to run crossbow season concurrent with archery. So we'll bring you up to speed about that and why... In my estimation, that is a very bad idea, and it's bad for the gun hunters. It's going to be bad for the bow hunters, and I think it's going to be very detrimental to the deer herd, and it's going to be bad for the small game hunters. There's an aspect of this that I don't think has been given adequate consideration. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Check them out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T, realty.com. 